Hey, my name is Hendel Leva, and I am the host of the online show Immigration MIC, Moving Immigration Conversations. Every week, I put on my Beats headphones and create original interviews for everyone to enjoy. It's a great opportunity for young people directly or indirectly affected by today's immigration policies to have their voice heard in the conversation. Visit www.thehendelmediaproject.com to watch all the interviews and learn how you can get involved. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week, another episode of Immigration MIC, where we move immigration conversations. This is the only podcast of its kind out there on iTunes, SoundCloud, where we explore the national immigration conversation through local stories. And today, I'm very happy to have Claudia here with me today. She is from Virginia. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Falls Church, Virginia. Say that. Uh, Falls. What, what is it? Falls Church, Virginia. Okay. Falls Church, Virginia. Yeah. Um, and as always, what I like to do is I like to, you know, scroll through Twitter, find people who are passionate, who have want to have a say in the conversation right now, uh, and invite them on. So all that being said, Claudia, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We had our second snowfall here in um, the D.C. area. So I woke up, uh, and then I just, like, I routinely check my window and... I looked and I was just surprised because I didn't uh, we we didn't get a warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't even on my app, the weather app. Right. Uh, so it was a surprise, um, but I'm doing well. Like I just had to like, get some snow off the, off the car, but <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Uh, same thing here in New York. Uh, we got a couple of inches of snow. Uh, I, on the other hand, will not be going outside. And I will probably leave, mm. let my car sit there for the next three or four days <laughs> and just let it melt. Um, so, yeah, so uh, let's get started. So, Claudia would love to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and just let us know who is Claudia. Yeah. So, uh, my name is Claudia Rojas. I was born in El Salvador in 1994, so that's like post-Civil War. Um, I don't know too much about the war, unfortunately. But uh, in 2001, there was uh, a really massive earthquake it had a magnitude of 7.1. So um, that year, me and my mom moved. To, we immigrated to Virginia. So we've actually, I've actually been in the Falls Church area for almost my whole life. And uh, um, I grew up around here. Uh, there were like two years that I lived in Washington, D.C. But for the most part, I've, I'm a local to Virginia. This is where I went to school. And uh, where I went to college after like a long journey um, due to um, I have a temporary protective status mm-hmm. and I didn't really come to understand it until until I was about 17. So then I had to deal with that. But all throughout um, without no, that understanding of that um, status, um, I just felt like I could do anything like I had the world in my hands. So. I lived like everybody else until that point. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you're laying it out all for us because we're going to unpack this long journey. And actually, I think you may be one of the first TPS uh, recipients that I've interviewed, which I know is so important because there's confusion as to, like, what's happening with that. So uh, let's start out, you know, I'd like to start out at the very beginning uh, with El Salvador. And I'm glad you said El Salvador because we're, like somewhat more connected now me having grown up in Brentwood um where there are the best pupusas in the world I will say that I always say that Brentwood New York now uh I do know that you're a poet correct yes okay yeah. was that something was that an interest you had um already in middle school or did that come later so 
So, okay. So. I know I'm asking all these, like, extra questions. No, no, that's questions. a great question. <laughs> no, no, no. I bet, yeah, it, it's a great question. And I've answered it a couple of times, but I guess each time, like, I have something new to say to it. Sure. Okay. So, I did start writing what I thought was poetry in eighth grade, mm -hmm. but it was really, just, like, like love poems sort of thing. Sure. Um, I started a diary in eighth grade because of like just all the emotional things around me, and um, just writing a bunch of poems. Uh, it it wasn't really like like I actually like tore those poems. Like they nobody knows they exist. Like except you. Like now you know, but like nobody can see them. Sure. They're like I tore them apart because they were so bad. But then. Um, Coming um, to high school, so I went to high school in D.C. Um, it's Bell Multicultural High School. They also go by Columbia Heights um, Educational Campus. So it's both, um, the way the school works is both eighth grade. Uh, it's, it's a middle school and a high school. So I was the first uh, freshman in the high school poetry club. Okay. And that's where I, um, I feel like I discovered more of my voice and uh, thought of poetry as something like, like outside of myself, something outside of a uh, a journal, mm -hmm. and I um I really liked my poetry uh, my poetry club because we had it was run by our librarian, and she made sure that uh, um, teaching artists uh, came to our library. Mm -hmm. So we had a teaching artist uh, artist from um, Split This Rock, which is a program that runs. Uh, um, poetry workshops and spreads poetry awareness around DC. So uh, we had um, a, te a teaching artist, and uh, every week we met and we would write poems and share poems. Sometimes we would go to open mics and we would share our poems there. Mm. And uh, like that's that's where I I first started to see that I really liked poetry and uh, I had something to say. So ever since I I figured that I would do something with that. Uh, I made up my mind that I wanted to um, uh, to write poetry professionally once I got to college, and then like my long-term goal is to teach creative writing and to teach poetry at a at a college. Okay. So that's the long goal. Awesome. Yeah. Now tell tell me about finding your voice. Um, was that something that came natural to you, or did you have to like work at it a lot? I think. Uh, I think I, okay, so when I say I found my voice, I mean, like, I, actually, I could put something on the paper, and I was able to share it, but I feel like my, the voice is something that evolves, mm -hmm. so I just, I was just able to finally say, you know what, I have something to say, so that was, like, the high school was the point for me, mm -hmm. because as a poet, I'm constantly evolving, sure. um, and I guess you you understand this too, like in, in, in any sense. Uh, but uh, it was just that um, the idea that that people actually would listen to me at the uh, open mics or at the uh, club meetings, uh, like that was like what finding my poetry, what uh, finding my voice meant to me. Like mm -hmm. having uh, having someone who would receive the words I had, because I think everybody has uh, um, something to say. But it's always about finding the audience and finding finding a space for your for whatever it is that you're doing. And I actually started um, because um, the Split This Rock uh, teaching artist was very involved in social justice. Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the reasons that um, I started uh, 
writing poems about the things that I noticed in my community. Uh, so I was, um, I really wanted to change like the way that women were seen uh, as a young woman myself. So I thought, oh, well, if I write about it, maybe I can change it. It doesn't work that way, but like that was my mindset. Sure. Uh, so I just started writing like every any time that I felt that. Um, uh, well, where my poetry is also very emotional, so like anytime I felt like I I just needed to get something out of my system, mm-hmm. I would write it down. And um, over the years, I actually um, I've been able to revise my poetry, and that's my focus right now. Like I am very um, revision uh, orientated. Like you you're not gonna see you're not gonna see my first draft. Like you'll sure. if I show you a draft, it's gonna be like the third or fourth uh, draft. Like mm-hmm. I'm not like very comfortable like with people just seeing as it is because I've because everything like because I it's very um I write a lot of narrative based stuff and a lot of emotional stuff so I don't I want to make sure that I, I've kind of filtered it out that it's ready for someone to see it but uh, yeah like for okay. me finding my but my voice was mostly like sure. finding a space yeah and so when you say that um you know you wanted to change the women the way women were seen what were some of those topics that you uh, like to hit on in terms of um you know the portrayal of women yeah so so i thought um you know it was very very early i um i just thought that um uh, everything was um like this it wasn't equal the way that um women were treated and like growing up in a largely immigrant community, I didn't always feel safe. And part of this was my mom because um, she was very fearful of men. And like um, being uh, a Latina, like it's like th- there, you're expected to like. Well, I mean, sometimes there's these expectations that like you'll you have to always look great. Or even just maybe not even just Latinas, but you know, just women. Like it's it's a very scary world out there, sure. and I just saw that. You know, I saw a lot of domestic abuse. I saw uh, some women not um, going on in their careers, and even like this year, the whole Me Too hashtag. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like this year, apparently women were believed, but I don't know. Like I don't know if they're still believed, but like that's the main issue because. You you shouldn't have to like like bring all these all this evidence upon like if if a crime has been committed to your body and uh, like that's another thing um, for me like um, the body is something really special that regardless of gender I think you know like um, bodies should be protected and then like this can go back to immigrant bodies you know like we're like it's so easy to hurt a human body it's so easy to kill a human. And even like with words, like uh, it, this is like why I've, I re- I appreciate being a poet because I know that I know that words can hurt. You know, I I know like the whole immigrant anti-immigrant rhetoric. Yeah. You know, it goes back to like the way that we're using words like against each other. So like um, the the woman narrative is one thing that I was um, looking at uh, when I was in high school. Uh, but uh, right now, like I'll, that's something I'll write about sometimes. But uh, r- right now, I'll write about immigration, or uh, I'll write about my life. I'll just write about anything. Sure. But immigration is like one of the the, the big uh, 
one of my big topics. Yeah, and I think that's perfect. Uh, perfect segue. Um, so actually, before we get there, you know, talking about the anti-immigrant narrative, words. Uh, perfect time to plug. Everybody, go watch from one mistake the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find that on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, you know, I would love to know how you got so heavily interested in immigration, um, and what you're doing today. Yeah. So. I got interested, or I became aware of immigration uh, in a very selfish kind of way because uh, I was 17, and um, I I started college early, so I didn't. uh, I have a GED, so so the high school that I went to, it was. I think looking back, it was probably. a good high school, but I felt like I wasn't getting enough. Uh, I wasn't able to go into AP classes until like junior year, so I was, uh, I was in tenth grade. I was really impatient, sure. so I want I wanted to learn as much and I wanted to start my career uh, really early. So I applied to Bard College of Simon's Rock, which is in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, okay. and uh, you know, being seventeen and being a first. Um, Nobody in my family had gone to college, so like nobody explained to me. And then, so I, I've I've applied I applied to the college and I was accepted, but I didn't understand all the finances. So I did one year, but in the spring, I'm sitting um, I'm sitting in the financial aid office and the counselor there is uh, like I'm trying to ref- uh, apply to financial aid. And like this whole the whole year has been really hard paying for that for for me to attend that school. Mm-hmm. So, like I was uh, working on campus and my mom was like working double time. But I'm talking to the counselor like, well, how can I apply to uh, scholarships and financial aid? And we're going over my paperwork and she's asking me, where do you do you have a green card? Mm-hmm. And nobody had ever asked me that. And then uh, I said, no, I don't have a green card. Um, I don't have a visa. Uh, so it, like, it just dawned on me that what I had was a work permit. And I showed her. And from there on, everything changed. Because I realized I wasn't going to get financial aid. I wasn't going to be able to apply to as many scholarships. And the whole time I had, uh, I was applying to scholarships. But I didn't figure out like why I wasn't having much luck or why wasn't it wasn't successful. Because... Like there was, there were a lot of requirements, and at 17, you know, like I wasn't, uh, I I had a lot of intellectual ambition, sure. but I didn't really understand, um, I didn't understand simple things as uh, like your your legal status. So like it's that from that day on, you know, like it my my world changed. So I had to go to community college, and then I had to figure out what um, what to do with that. And uh, ever since, um, like my my focus was school, but um, so like so that was that was the spring of 2012 when like I realized like I couldn't attend the school and I realized the financial like the all the chaos behind that. Mm-hmm. So and then in 2013, um, I volunteered. I did a, like about one year of volunteering with Carissen, oh, which is. Okay. Uh, yep, we have that on Long Island. Yeah, so we have, um, so I I volunteered with the DC um, based Karesen, and uh, you know, I was just sharing um, 
my story with them because I doesn't actually focus on T. Uh, they focus on TPS. Uh, so I uh, I was just invited to a lot of um, places to share my story, and then I would also uh, volunteer to call people for protest. Uh, but like it was it wasn't uh, I didn't really feel um, like after a year I didn't feel like change was happening fast enough. Mm-hmm. And I didn't follow through with it too much. And then there was there's also like one phone call that sticks with me because it was to a um a lady who was like she was very concerned whether um they would um, pass legislation for TPS and I we were going to do a big protest in April and she said well do you think this is the last one like after this one we'll finally get something <laughs> and then me being naive I said yes I'm pretty sure this is the last one right. and you know like I generally told her yes you know like I didn't even think about it and then of course after that me and her we were disappointed because it was we this um, there were still more protests mm-hmm. so um, right now I'm um, so. After that, I just focused in school because I was part-time uh, working and uh, doing um, community college. I did, I did full-time, but then I transferred to George Mason and I did that full-time. And then after, like uh, coming into 2017, mm-hmm. I've, um, I'm doing an internship uh, with Forward US. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so you, you probably have heard of them, like they're yes. really huge. Um, so like... That's it's helping me to uh, be a little more active in the community. But I think even before Forward US, um, I was really interested in and in, in like sharing my story more and more than I had been in college because I hadn't given myself I hadn't given myself the time, and I was just um, like you can imagine I've been like a really like intense student, True. so I I didn't give myself time and. Sometimes, like I think, like I should have, because it's so important that people hear these stories. And for uh, for me, like TPS, like even though so many people have it, yeah. uh, like for El Salvador, I think it's uh, two hundred thousand uh, people from El Salvador have TPS. But you know, like I walk around and I tell people about TPS, and it's like, oh, I, I didn't know this happened. You know, like I didn't know that this was a thing. Yeah. So, you know, like, um, like one person actually called me a unicorn in like this, the, the whole immigration status mm-hmm. because they hadn't met a TPS person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, I feel like I have a lot of educa- um, educating to do. Yeah. And uh, so some of that I have done in my poetry, which I'm grateful because like then I, ha- I do, I feel like I have contributed something to, to um, the, the whole debate and everything that's going on because I have. Poetry is something I've been writing for years, and a part of the uh, the poems have just uh, have worked to help me figure out my status and help me figure out myself. And like sometimes, you know, like that applies. Like what you find out about yourself applies to other people. Right. Wow. I mean, that's uh, you're taking on a very big task, and the reason <laughs> the reason I say that is because you're right. Um, I think that. You know, as uh, the fight over DACA has been going on for the past, like, I don't know, 10 years. Well, not 10 years, but like mm-hmm. four or five years. Yeah. Um, you know, this recent change in policy of TPS kind of gets lost um, within that conversation. Because, so what I will say for myself is that I thought, you know, TPS was like, I don't know, this like long-term status that's being taken away. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be amended mm-hmm. by just like going to a consulate and like renewing something. And that's not what mm-hmm. it is at all. So, and, and so like, you know, 
Um, can you tell me what will happen once people run out of TPS? Mm -hmm. So, so uh, like you, like the sort of misunderstanding that misunderstanding that you said, it's not a long term uh, um, status or or program. It's very much like DACA, which uh, so we have this uh, eighteen month uh, work permit and it's con and it's renewed. Uh, based on the conditions of our country. So without, uh, what the work permit gives you is that you can work, you can have your driver's license, you can um, go to school, and, and some states give you in-state tuition. And uh, you get, you, you're not going to be deported, but you don't have a permanent residency. Right. So once TPS um, is lost, once you, you, you're, you go back to whatever status you had before TPS, and from I would say 99% of us, we didn't have a status because mm -hmm. we were they were escaping a natural disaster or a war. So you don't you don't have time to apply to to any status because like there's all that going on. Right. So most of us would uh, become undocumented. Mm -hmm. So uh, all those great things that I said that we can do, we're not going to be able to do. We we're not going to be able to go to college, or or if we are, if we do, we're not going to be able to afford it because we can't work. Mm -hmm. And then. One, um, one thing that um, is really key is um, we're going to lose uh, any, any health care that we have. So, like, I have um, health care through the Affordable Care Act mm -hmm. uh, because, as, um, because I've worked part-time for so long, I haven't been able to get um, uh, health care through an employer. Sure. So, so with TPS, I qualified for, for health care through the Affordable Care Act. Um, but some people, you know, if they lose their jobs, they're not going to have health care anymore. And I think this is really lost in, uh, in, in the whole narrative because, like, that's so important that people have access to health care. And, you know, we're going to lose that. And, like, in addition to the driver's license, like, well, people are going to be left at really huge disadvantages. Mm. And so where we're at right now is, has T is TPS being phased out for all countries? <laughs> Uh, honestly, it looks that way, but, but no one really knows. Okay. So, um, like I mentioned, um, Haiti's TPS ended, um, but they have, um, they have about, about two years. It ends in July, 2019 and Nicaragua has into January, 2019. There's a couple of other, uh, countries who like their, um, the department of Homeland Security hasn't like, um, looked at their country um, at their destination yet so we're not sure about them but uh, for Honduras they got um, a six-month extension because the secretary uh, of the Department of Homeland Security couldn't make a decision so automatically they were given this six-month extension and for El Salvador our were um, El Salvador and I think Syria too uh, El Salvador and Syria our work permits expire uh, March 2018, and uh, we're supposed to get at least a two-month uh, head notice. So in January, very soon, we're going to find out what happens to the program. So it's very uncertain right now, but it, it's the trend so far has been that uh, TPS has been ended or there's a conditional extension. But it, you know, it's it's just really uncertain right now, and it's never been this uncertain in the in the past. So one thing I will say is, uh, holy crap, just, <laughs> just having you explain it to me that way. Now I understand the, 
the um, the timeliness of you know uh, advocating for the preservation of this program. I think sometimes <laughs> like the like you know the the big terms and the big the big organizations the, the way that they present it like it doesn't make sense. But you just explain it this way like it's great. It just made me realize like just how important. Yeah. It is. So thank you. Um, so I have a couple more questions, uh, and, and then we'll wrap up. Um, what were your sentiments that were happening as the election season was happening, as like the campaigns were going on? Um, what were you feeling during that time? So as, as, as the campaign was going on, I, I was like a, um, a lot of us thinking that we, we knew what was going to happen. We've, we all thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. So when when it didn't turn out that way, I've, I was very disappointed. And the the day of the election, like I couldn't go to sleep because I wanted to like see the yeah, the final yeah, count. And it was uh, it was like twelve a.m. or one a.m. And I finally told myself, well, it, you already know the what's going to happen. So like. Just go to sleep, same, and then same thing over here. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then the morning, um, the next morning, I woke up and I checked my phone, and there were there it was. It was confirmed that um, we had President Donald Trump in office, or like he was uh, elected president. So it was a huge disappointment, and I'm not lying to you. I actually went to my mom and I crawled into her bed and I just started crying. Like yeah, it was. It was just, I, I looked like a baby because right. I just started crying. And, you know, I told, um, I was telling her, perdio, perdio, perdio. And I was like, I just, I couldn't say anything else. You know, like I was just so upset that uh, Hillary Clinton had lost. And um, then, then uh, later that day I had to go to school. I had, uh, I had a class to attend to and it was only once uh, one class. Uh, and a lot of, um, I, you know, I, th I thought about it, like maybe I shouldn't go to um, school this day. And I almost stayed home, but then I figured if I, if I stayed home, like it was, I would just have to process it faster. Mm -hmm. And then I went, I went to school that day and it was just like a really hard day because I couldn't stop thinking about what had happened because in my mind it was, um, so I worked four years as a tutor. Mm -hmm. So in my mind it was like, okay, what am I going to say to the kids tomorrow when they ask me, what do you think about the the president or yeah. Miss Claudia? What do you think? Wait, what are your reactions? And you know, I just I just couldn't like, get myself to like to believe that this was happening. So I, I forced myself to go to school, but you know, I um, my professor was having um, so I had a, a African American poetry class, mm -hmm. and that's. Um, that week we were talking about uh, Claudia Rankine's uh, Citizen, mm -hmm. which is, um, it's a really, it's, it's incredible work uh, about uh, how it feels to be black uh, and a lot of microaggressions. And we were talking about it that day. And I just, I actually wrote a poem about this. Like the, I actually have a poem about how okay. I felt about the election. Oh, so great. I'll, I'll put it in the link below. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I I remember just crying, um, and I couldn't like I I couldn't like look at the professor like, and I couldn't answer any questions, and I just felt so awkward being in in the class because there there was, 
I felt so much pain. And then at that moment, I didn't realize that I was really in pain for myself, like what was going to happen for immigrants or for um, like anybody who's a minority in this country. Because I feel like um, like the scariest thing about having President Trump is that it's you don't uh, you don't really feel safe anymore. And you don't like there's a lot of danger and just being different. So like it's it's took me. A long time to process it and I think even even now like I'm still looking at 2017 and I'm like how did we go a year with yeah, this it's been a pretty bad year <laughs> yeah um no thank you for sharing that I really appreciate that and I always ask folks um to do that in every interview um just to be able to connect our narratives around that day and um mm-hmm. you know the impact that it's had on our lives um so uh when I ask uh what do you plan to do in the near future um you know what are mm-hmm. your ambitions? I know you told me that you would like to be a teacher someday um teach creative writing um do you have mm-hmm. any ambitions in politics policy uh what would you like to do in the future so i um I do want to teach college the college level like that um that has been a goal for a long time um but before that, you know, like I'm trying to gain some editing experience. I want uh, to write for an agency. I want to do a lot of creative copy, mm-hmm. just um, just because I've uh, like I'm really good at that. I uh, uh, I do a lot of editing for friends, and I do freelancing right now. Mm-hmm. So, like one possible thing that I want to do is grow um, grow my freelance presence. Uh, but in terms of um, work in politics, I don't really think that I will go that way. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like the work that I've done in politics or the advocacy work I've done, anything related to that, has been um, because I have to. Because like if I don't fight the fight, maybe nobody else will. You know, right. like, I have to make myself present. Mm-hmm. But... It's not, um, you know, like uh, I graduated with a bachelor's in English from George Mason University. So I, it's, I don't have any training in uh, political science or global economy. Like there's, there, there's no background for me and there's no interest in that. And I just feel, um, I just feel like my role in uh, any narrative right now is to be the writer, to be the, the person who looks at uh, who looks at what's happening and write it down and share it so that people in the future will remember. And I'm just really conscious that I want to do that, you know, because like someone has to write it down. Someone has to pro- process the emotions and the emotions are hard, but like that's something that I I feel um, that I have to do, that I want to do. Well, sounds great. And I think that um, there's a connection there between like, you know, capturing the moment you know as you're saying like you know writing down what's going on um and then myself like doing this this mm-hmm. uh, podcast show every week um just capturing the moment so you know i think it's great um so for people out there who need some hope and for you know people who are going through some tough times uh what are some what are some of your personal words of encouragement for them <laughs> so let me see I don't have. Can I share a poem with you instead? Because because yeah, I've been trying to figure this out. Because okay, so this poem, it's um, so I'm I'm actually very emotional and I'm very surprised that I haven't cried like in the past 
three months or so. Mm-hmm. So like this poem is about people who do cry, and sure. it's um it's called Pantone for people who cried. Go ahead, Floresers. <laughs> the year people cried for you was the same year people fought alongside you. In public spaces, the people cried. You knew that could be you at the edge next. Because that same year people fought for you, you felt the death fist to your side. Pain to witness the edge of disappointment, to be so loved and feel alone. The death fist aim well at your side. We wear our pride in our smiles, but you frown to be loved and feel so alone. Remember that time, rage gave you something. The time of day, the work is not done. It's not every year people cry for you. Remember that rage in our time. It says, ring out the hurts in public spaces. So that's the poem. And wow. the, the the comforting in it is that, you know, part of, part of gaining any goal, whether it's a personal or a political goal, mm-hmm. is that there's going to be struggle. It's not going to be easy. And that's also part of, like, when you actually achieve that goal, um, the goal, when we actually win the fight, it's going to be so worthwhile because we'll remember that we fought so hard and that we had people fighting with us. So like, that's something that I've been thinking about this year that as, as much as I feel alone, as much as I think like I'm the only TPS holder in the whole world, I'm not, you know? So it's just constantly (laughs) reminding yourself that you matter and that people are fighting for you. And that as long as you make a, contribu- a contribution to the fight, you know, like, that's all you can say, you know, like, I fought. And, like, the worst thing you can do is just nothing, you know, like, not move a finger. So, right. and, and just... You know, I mean, thank you. I, I really appreciate That's a very deep, movement-based, like, story-sharing type of, like, poem. Uh, unique, uh, one of its kind. And, you know, I think there was this line, um, remember that rage gave you something. Mm-hmm. so I, yeah. I you know is, is this published online or is it something you're going to publish oh no this this one's like this is one of my first poems that i've written in a while so i just i i felt like it needed to be shared it's not it's not published so well, thank you for sharing this uh <laughs> first or second draft yeah i know you don't share after third or fourth draft yeah, so thank you for yeah, sharing that yeah, with me yeah i appreciate that um well claudia you know i want to say thank you very much for joining me this was very informative um you know thank you for all that you do in your capacity um thank you for contributing thank you so much for being a part of this conversation in this space um i know this interview will be really important to a lot of people so i just want to say thank you no yeah and i want to thank you for inviting me to the conversation it's the work that you're doing is wonderful. Like I said, I think stories are very important and people need to hear them. And I'm glad that you're you're part of that because the stories need to be heard and someone needs to help tell them. Well, thank you, Claudia. <laughs> uh, again, this has been Immigration MIC uh, and we'll come back soon with